everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff, and uh, joining me also, as usual, from the Pacific Northwest is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? Oh, man, uh, it's it's that time of year. Uh, everything's a little bit colder, but uh, I'm spending a lot more money on the uh, MasterCard. Okay. I, I know you've been buying some cards and some stuff. Yes, and stuff for other people for once. Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess that it is the holiday season. Yeah, I, I've got a 32-person list that I have to buy for. It's like a, a Broadway musical every year. I have a one-person list. That's my wife. Ah, well, that must be uh, simple. Ricky Henderson's birthday, we like to keep it low-key. But uh, that's the holiday that we celebrate in this household. We'll get to that. We'll talk to that here uh, in a little bit, a little bit about birthdays uh, coming up here on the 25th. I mean, there's one real famous birthday, but there's also... <laughs> some others that we'll get to but mark this is our last episode of the year we're going to take next year next year we're going to take next year off so uh <laughs> we'll see you guys wow. uh, later <laughs> no we're going to take next week off but i think we're going to be around i think we're going to do uh do a rewatch of, of some baseball stuff on on twitch and youtube i'm not sure if it's going to be this week in baseball again I have got a lot of other baseball videos that I think would be fun to watch as well. So be on the lookout for that. We'll post that on our social media probably sometime next week when we nail down a time we want to do it. But I think we'll, we'll have some fun watching some baseball stuff next week and hopefully some uh, people can join us again. But Mark, this week we're going to kind of take it easy because it is the last show of the year. And we are going to do one of our infamous but much loved Tales from the Dugout episode, version 22 you ready to get into it? 22, that's awesome. 22, yeah. This is show number 146. We are almost 100 episodes past the Ricky Henderson episode. Wow. Now, that's uh, that blows me away. It, we might be primed for another Ricky Henderson episode. <laughs> yeah, I, well, we haven't done a Nolan Ryan one in over 100, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was show number 34, so we've got some stuff to, to catch up on. But before we get into anything here this week, as usual, let us uh, first take a little BP and make sure that we're all warmed up. First of all, we want to wish a happy early birthday to Connie Mack. He was born on December 22nd, 1862. I think that's, you were two years old at that point, were you, Mark, I think? <laughs> uh, no, I was voting age. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Well, and you were a man, so you could vote at that point, so I guess you That's got right. Uh, he was born in East Brookfield, Massachusetts. Cornelius Alexander McGillicuddy, we've said that many times because it's fun to say. He actually changed his name to Connie Mack for one reason, and that was so that it would better fit on a scorecard. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. That's something you and I would do right yeah. there. <laughs> so instead of Cornelius McGillicuddy, it became Connie Mack, so it could fit on that better. You, uh, We've talked about it before. Do you remember what uh, what position old Connie Mack played when he was not in a suit and bow tie in the dugout? I probably remember, but don't want to say it. He was a catcher, just like Tom Brady. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> What was I thinking? I think he was also eight foot nine, so very tall yeah. for a catcher. But uh, yeah, just like Tom Brady from from last week. Also, looking through some other historical things that happened this week in history, I saw that tomorrow is the anniversary of Mr. Bill Dewitt Jr. Not to be confused with Joyce Dewitt from Three's Company. Bill Dewitt Jr. and two other partners purchased the St. Louis Cardinals from Anheuser Busch. 
for a reported $150 million in 1995. Now, why would I bring this up? Just an ownership change for uh, the Cardinals. Well, DeWitt has actually been around baseball his entire life. His father owned the St. Louis Browns at one point and the Cincinnati Reds. And DeWitt Jr. was a bat boy at one point for uh, when he was uh, when he was young. And on August 19th, 1951, when Eddie Goodell made his singular appearance as a pitch hitter with the Browns, he was wearing DeWitt Jr.'s jersey, the Bat Boy. Really? Yeah. I had never heard that story before. I that's crazy. That's, that's a, very, actually, that just shows how deep you delve into things, my friend. I think that is really cool. I mean, I, if I ever met now the owner of the Cardinals, I mean, it would be cool, you know, in the first place just to say, hey, you know, Cardinals, good, very historic franchise. But this is definitely what I would be asking him about. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Another thing I got, Jamie Moyer. You've heard of him, right? Oh, absolutely love him. Yep. Yep. We've talked about him. He's played forever. Interesting fact, there have only been two players with the last name of Moyer to ever appear in Major League Baseball. Ed Moyer was a pitcher who played one season in 1910 for the Washington Senators. He went 0 for 3 with a 3.24 ERA. That was it. Six games. That was his career. Ed Moyer died on November 18th, 1962. Okay. Can you guess who was born on November 18th, 1962? I think you're going to tell me it was another Moyer. I am. <laughs> How weird is that? That's crazy. That is just, that, that just blows my mind. There have been two Moyers that have played in Major League Baseball and one of them died on the same day that the next one was born. It's like the movie Highlander. Oh, there can only be one. <laughs> that, that's right. Well, actually, now there's none. There are no Warriors. I, I think Jamie's still looking for a non-roster spot invite to spring training once everything gets squared away this year, though. You know, and there's a couple teams I think he could make. Uh, Oakland is probably open to <laughs> He might be too expensive for them. Yeah. <laughs> it probably is. Uh, all right. So before we get into to, uh, to trivia, Mark, I hate to tell you, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go to court real quick here. Oh. Now apparently last I think it was last week uh, we were talking about some college baseball programs, and I referred to to Cal State Fullerton as the dirt bags, and that is apparently not correct. I, I uh -oh. cannot find this email that told me this, and I apologize, but I thank whoever told me. Uh, it is actually uh, the Long Beach State program is the Dirtbags. Cal State Fullerton are actually the Titans. Oh, okay. So I did just do a quick peek here. Long Beach State has had quite a list of uh, good players come through. Bobby Crosby, Jason Giambi, Evan Longoria, Steve Traxel, Troy Whiskey, Jason Vargas, Jared Weaver. Bunch of really good uh, good players have come through Long Beach State, and then I also looked up Cal State Fullerton, who also has some really good players like Tim Wallach, uh, Phil Nevin, Mark Kotze, who apparently might be the next manager of my Oakland Athletics. Uh, really? Yeah, they've come through as well. So two two good mm -hmm. baseball programs. Definitely, yeah. We didn't get that part wrong. No, yeah, I, I a good baseball program, but unfortunately, Mark, you're. One of your only jobs on this podcast is to catch these things when I say them, and, and you didn't. 
So yeah, I'm gonna. My bad. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and fine you four dollars and twenty cents, and uh, we'll just put that right on your tab, which is due here at the end of the year. So. Oh, well, then you can go on vacation. All right, let's <laughs> uh, let's head into trivia. Mark, last week I asked a question, and uh, I was trying to make it harder because uh, apparently, like I said last week, I was the only one in the country that did not know that uh, Tom Brady was indeed drafted by the Montreal Expos. So the player I ask is, of players that have played for at least two different teams in their career, what is the longest time spent with a single team? Right. We did uh, definitely a, a, a step down in the uh, number of responses from the week before. <laughs> I don't know if it because it wasn't related to football or if this was just harder. But uh, do you have any, any guesses here as to who might have played the longest for one team while still playing for another team in their career? No, I don't have any guesses. I mean, I do, but they'll all be wrong. All right. Well, the answer is 22 years, and it's shared by two players, by Cap Anson and Ty Cobb. Wow. So 22 years by a blatant racist and Ty Cobb. Which, you see what I did there? Because most people... I, that was good. Yeah, the, uh, the lazy people think Ty Cobb was... Uh, well, I think Ty Cobb was probably a little racist, but certainly not as he was portrayed. But Cap Anson can go... Not the best reputation for uh, an equality-minded person. This, this might be the perfect time for us to swear for the first time through this podcast <laughs> when, talking, when talking about Cap Anson. But yeah, what a dirtbag that kept... Uh, well, I guess we, he's responsible for the Negro Leagues. I guess we can say that. Yeah, we'll, there, there you go. Put a positive spin on it. We only had, uh, we had three correct answers this week. Three of our regulars, Brian Krause, Andrew Harmer, and Chris Cook. I also want to correct something I said last week. I also want to make a, a correction. Uh, last week, I uh, read that article about John Crock and, and Charlie Huff. It was actually Andrew Harmer was the one that sent me that article. So thank you, Andrew, for that. And I apologize for, uh, for mixing up who sent me that. Again, we had a lot of people responding last week, so... I'm not very bright in the first place. This stuff happens, but we appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. New trivia question for you, and I think this one is going to be a fun one. Uh, it's uh, it's about Japanese baseball. Well, it's not about Japanese baseball. It's Japanese baseball related, and I've got some Japanese baseball stuff coming up. So in 1995, 20-year-old pitcher Masufumi Hirai, and I'm sure I butchered that, but uh, he was pitching for the Oryx Blue Wave, Ichiro's old team, and he ended up with a 15-5 and five record. Very nice, you say. Nice, yes. One thing, he was their closer. He also finished with 27 saves. So that... What? Yeah. <laughs> led the team in wins as their closer with 27 saves as well. That's a pretty good season. Yeah. So my question for you is who holds the major league record for most wins in a single season without a single game started? Ooh, I like this one. Yeah, I think this is this will be a fun one. I think you can probably plug it into into Stathead pretty quickly and, and figure it out. But I, I like I like to let people kind of think about it first. Yeah. So um, in uh, what did I say? In 1995, Masafuni Harai appeared in 53 games, zero starts, 15 and 5. 2.32 ERA in 85 innings, he struck out 82 batters. 
I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering if he came in in a lot of tie games late as well, and it may have been. You know, got the lead. He's a 20 year old pitcher at this point. Wow. He went on to pitch for 21 seasons in Japan. He retired in 2014, a record of 67 and 45, with 56 career saves. So. I, I I think he became a middle reliever. It kind of looks like um, it's just so odd. Yeah, one year in in two thousand and three, he went from Oryx to Chinuchi, where he started twenty games, appeared in forty. So he started this. Uh, he started let's see forty five games in his career over six hundred and sixty nine games, mainly a reliever his entire career. That's uh, that's an interesting uh, combination of talents right there. Yeah. I'm assuming he had to have just become a, a middle reliever as, as he went on there. But so there it is. Who, who in the major league baseball record book has the most wins in a single season without starting a single game? If you want to go ahead and let us know, you can reach us various methods. We'll tell you how to do that at the end of the show. All right, Mark, it's time to get into it. Let's get into the uh, meat and potatoes of the show. It is time for Tales from the Dugout. I'm going to start us off this week. We mentioned that uh, December 25th is coming up, kind of a special day for a lot of people around the world. I know in my household we get very excited because it is the birth date of none other than Mr. Ricky Henderson, who I think we've talked about a couple of times here on this show. Not sure. Yeah, it's interesting. As we were doing show prep, I uh, happened to ask Jeff, are you going to mention December 25th birthdays by chance? Already had it all prepped right here. Uh, actually, three Hall of Famers have been born on December 25th. Of course, Ricky Henderson, who is uh, by far the best of the bunch there. Also, Nellie Fox and Pud Gavin were, were oh, born wow. on this day. I'm pretty sure Pud was a, uh, was a pitcher. Uh, let's see. Pitched 705 games in his career. 365 wins. Good total. 310 mm-hmm. losses. We'll, we'll look the other way. He was a prolific pitcher. Let's put it that way. Uh, 1883, he had a great year for the Buffalo Bison. He went 46 and 29. He started 76 games and finished 75 of them. (laughs) What happened in the other game? I do not know. Five shutouts, 656 and a third innings. I bet his arm was a bit tired. 2.72 2.72 ERA, only a 117 ERA plus. So apparently everybody was pitching really well this year. Obviously, there was no Cy Young award given since Cy Young hadn't even pitched in the big leagues at this point. <laughs> that would have been really strange, wouldn't it? <laughs> we think this guy is going to be good someday, like really good, so we're naming an award after him. Yeah, I, I'm just assuming that after this season, old Haas Radburn's like, is that all you got? Thanks. <laughs> 76 games, 656 in the third innings. My God, I did that on a Sunday. So true. Pud Gavin, also known as Gentle Jeems and the Little Steam Engine. They had weirder nicknames back then. I'm all for bringing these kind of nicknames back. No, I'm not saying I dislike them. I, I Well, I'm not a fan of being called Pud, but the rest of them I'm cool with. <laughs> Next, Nellie Fox or Mighty Might or Little Nell. 
He mm. uh, played for the White Sox is, is where he's most remembered. Really good fielding second baseman. MVP of the American League in 1959. He ended up with a 288 average over 19 years. A lot of black ink here. Uh, mm. A lot of black ink. A good bunter as well. My goodness. Double digits almost every single year of his career. Led the league in hitting four years. Uh, led the league in caught stealing. I like to mention that. And also led the league in triples. But Nelly Fox. And then, of course, I think we've covered Ricky Henderson quite a bit on this show. But by far the most home runs hitting by anybody born on Christmas Day. Also most games, played appearances, at-bats, runs, hits, doubles, triples, home runs, RBIs, walks, intentional walks, strikeouts, hit by pitch. Not sacrifice hits. But sacrifice flies and grounded it. Oh, look at that. Nelly Fox grounded into three more double plays than Ricky Henderson did. So, <laughs> all right, folks, thanks for tuning in. There that was a fun show. Here's your right. rundown on, on players that were born <laughs> on Christmas Day or as we celebrate Rickmas. There you go. We talked about this last week when we were talking about Dave Winfield, and uh, I had some audio of him opening some old baseball cards. Uh, that was from Yahoo. And uh, I guess this is a thing. I didn't know about it. But uh, there's a, a guy for Yahoo that goes around and finds old players and they open up a pack of baseball cards and they kind of do what we do when we've got somebody on the show. They just want to hear some stories about some of the players. There's no game like we have or anything. But I found one with Ricky Henderson. Nice. So, of course, I had to watch it. Had a good time. And uh, I heard Ricky tell a story on this uh, on this episode with this guy. And uh, they were pulling cards, and they pulled a Davy Johnson card. Who uh, the, I forget what year of cards they were looking at, but he was in a Mets uniform. This is what Ricky had to say when they pulled the Davy Johnson card. Davy Johnson. Davy Johnson. Davy Johnson. All right. Yeah, now, first of all, I just play. want to stop there because <laughs> the host says Davy Johnson, and Ricky goes David Johnson. <laughs> so <laughs> that jibs with what. Uh, with what Bobby Valentine said is that uh, Ricky never knows anybody's name. So that's, it works. All right, let's listen to this. David Johnson. David Johnson. David Johnson, uh, I got to play with David Johnson as a manager when I was in New York. And uh, I think I was doing the same thing that I was doing with the A's. You know, I didn't think I had needed that much uh, uh, spring training. You know, I was always getting in shape before spring training. And I think the early part of the uh, spring training, Players was was coming to get in shape. They might have been in the East Coast, cold, the cold side, that they couldn't go out and, and, and get themselves in top, top shape. And I'm one of the guys that got myself in top shape for spring training. Ricky and, got prepared, man. And, and David Johnson, uh, you know, when I got to spring training with him and I came in there late, you know, he pulled me in the office and he got real, real mad at me. And I and I told him, I said, if you got a player out there in better shape than me, then then you can come and talk to me. But he didn't have a player in better shape, so he said, just go out there and play. <laughs> So he was one of the guys like that. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a little unpack to this story. And I don't know how to tell Ricky this. Ricky never played for David or Davy Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> never played under him. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, I'm not, you know, he said when he was playing in New York. So I'm not sure if he means the Yankees or the Mets. Now, when he was with the Mets... He played under our, our guest from just a couple of shows ago, Bob Valentine. 
Definitely not Davy Johnson. Uh, when he was in New York, here are his managers while well, he was a, a member of the Yankees. Yogi Berra and Billy Martin. Lou Pinella. Uh, Billy Martin again. And Dallas Green for a little bit. And then he was traded in Bucky Dent. So at no point did Ricky Henderson ever play for Davy Johnson. <laughs> but apparently he and Davy had a conversation that, uh, that Ricky didn't have, to, uh, didn't have to work that hard. You know, what, what, what's, what's great is, is that, uh, I know Ricky's career fairly well and I couldn't tell you the number of teams or managers he's played for. And I think it's to the point where even Ricky doesn't know. So I think that's all that was, was him having such a illustrious career that he doesn't remember who he played and didn't play for. It's hard to remember that many teammates. And <laughs> I think that's why when, when Bobby Valentine said he just called everybody player or coach, I think that's why. And I think you're on to it, but it's just, I, I really am guessing that he, <laughs> he met Bobby Valentine at that point. I don't know. Maybe, maybe when we have Ricky on the show, we'll be able to, to figure it out, get to the bottom. That will happen. I just, I thought that was, that is a quintessential Ricky Henderson story playing for David Johnson at some point. <laughs> That's so. awesome. All right, Mark, what, uh, what do you got for us this week? Actually, uh, I was uh, doing some research and, and it ended up kind of going nowhere. So I got real lucky. And uh, last night I decided to watch a movie called 8-Bit Christmas. Now, this is pretty new and you'll see where I'm going with this here in a minute. Uh, it stars Neil Patrick Harris and it's done in sort of a Wonder Years or Christmas Story way where he's reminiscing about previous Christmases. And so on like that. Well, he thinks about him he, and he's telling his daughter about a time uh, when he was collecting cards that him and his buddies were obsessed with getting a Nintendo 8-bit. Okay. And they were going to do anything it took to do so. And they had this amazing scene where they were planning on how to do it and, and how to get a hold of it. As it goes, they uh, come across, a, they're opening a, a pack of 89 FLIR. They didn't have the rights, obviously, to use the FLIR name or the design of the cards because it wasn't, it wasn't remotely close, but it was good enough for, you know, a layman. He opens it up and he goes, whoa. And they go, what? And he goes, I just got a Ripken. <laughs> he goes, really, Cal? No, Billy, but look. <laughs> there's a swear word on the back. And this ends up becoming the basis for where they start getting their money to buy their Nintendo. <laughs> and I started, I was thinking about, it really was a huge deal. Now, those of you that don't know the story of Bill Ripken and, and the bat, I can't go into it too deep. But let's just say he, players write their name or number on, on the knob of their bats, generally speaking. And he apparently had a nickname uh, that started with the letter F and, um, that was what he used as his moniker to pick up his bats. Well, as he held it and posed for his picture for Fleer, that nickname came across very clearly on the knob of the bat. And uh, it became, it, as soon as it came out, people started noticing it. And Fleer then took, you know, uh, precautions to blur it out, put a little black square black box, over it. Yeah. it the old uh, Bill Ripken error card. And it was just so funny because I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my gosh, this really hits home. Like, you know, about, uh, I remember when my buddy got a, a cello pack and on top was the Bill Ripken era and something like that. This was a huge deal. 
And, you know, Bill Ripken, not uh, a household name uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but very well known to card collectors out of the 80s and, and early 90s as uh, one of the most sought after, for all the wrong reasons, cards of all time and then seeing it portrayed in this movie. And by the way, I give the movie a big thumbs up. I thought it was fun. It's done in the vein of a Christmas story. Like I said, he tells the stories, he reminisces about him. Uh, a lot of that stuff like uh, you and I could relate to uh, because it kind of comes from that era instead of back in the Christmas story era. And from Doogie Hauser. Yeah. Lots of, yeah. Neil Patrick Harris and Steve Zahn's in it too. And I love Steve Zahn because he, was the guitar player in that thing you do. But uh, yeah, good movie. If you get a chance, I found it on HBO Max, I think. Check it out. If you just want to watch the Bill Ripken part, that makes sense to me as a baseball fan. But as a movie in a whole, I, I liked it. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 77% positive. Uh, so check it out. 8-Bit Christmas and watch for that Bill Ripken error. All right, so I just did a quick search on eBay for the uh, Billy Ripken error card from that year. Uh, if you want a non-graded one, you can pick one up for $30. Not bad. There you go. But if you want a PSA graded, so here's a PSA 9, you can pick that up for $130. Oh, there you go. And you can get a Nintendo 8-bit for that, I think. Yeah, I think you, I think you, you can't you know, I think you can download one for free if you as well. But well, yeah. uh, there are a couple of black box Ripken cards here that are also PSA graded. Here's a PSA 9 black box for $12. And uh, there is likewise a PSA graded 8 for the exact same price. So just go ahead and pick up the 9 if you really want, if you want the black box there. Um, Mark, that reminds me before I get on to my next story, I was, uh, I've been posting Ricky Henderson pictures every day until the lockout ends on, on social media been very popular i've been really happy with the response get a lot of uh, new people putting eyeballs on our stuff and i posted one the other day of ricky henderson in one of his first couple of years in the league and he's at old comiskey park scoreboards in the background it's during during bp and he's got one of those mizuno jackets on underneath his jersey you know what I'm talking about? The like, yes, they do. the puffy, shiny yes. things. <laughs> not the not the shiny little windbreakers, but the puffy ones. Well, no, it, it was the it's the it's the one that looks like you would wear if you were a wrestler in high school and you're trying to make weight. Okay, trying to I got sweat you. it yeah, out. Yeah. So I didn't know exactly what material that was. Somebody was asking me, and it looks like rubber. It's not rubber. I thought it was plastic. It's not plastic. It's actually polyurethane. And uh, I did a quick look on the internet as I was talking to this person on social media. And on eBay, you can still buy these Mizuno polyurethane. Uh, they're called pullover baseball jackets. You can own one for only $900. Wow. $900. <laughs> now, there is one that is a light blue here that is $750. But the rest of them are all just priced for some reason near a thousand dollars so there's a huge market for these they're not autographs Apparently. they're not display models i'm guessing that they are you, you can't they're no longer being made obviously <laughs> right <laughs> my gosh though if you have one and you want to part with it for some quick well i say quick money but i don't see any of these being sold but they are they are for sale if you are so interested 
All right. I got one last story here before we get into Wax Packs Heroes. I mentioned that I wanted to talk about some uh, Japanese baseball uh, during the show here. And this is, uh, this is what I wanted to talk about. So uh, during World War II, similar to how a certain sect of people here in the United States tried to get freedom fries to become a thing after 9-11. Well, during World War II, Japan made some changes to baseball to try and make it look less American. I mean, obviously, baseball's <laughs> pretty close to as American as you can get, right? Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. I think that was that was a Chevy commercial, wasn't it? It was. It was. You got it dead on in the right order. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie. Because <laughs> I was thinking, well, isn't Ford a little bit more American? But I, I don't know what the American... I'm not going to get in the middle of this. People are crazy about that Ford Chevy yeah. argument. I'm out. Well, this is... <laughs> we're not a NASCAR <laughs> Uh, no, no. If you like Ford and if you like Chevy, we're happy for you. Yeah. Okay. We, no letters. Neither of us have that Calvin sticker on our car where he's doing the business on the, <laughs> the logo. Oh, man. Of uh, all things to bring up. Okay. Regardless, uh, if the Japanese were going to continue playing and watching baseball, which a lot of people in the country were already you know, questioning that since it was the sport of the enemy. They had to change some of the English phrases that were actually being used in Japan to talk about baseball and describe things that are going on in the game. You know, despite the fact that everybody knew exactly where this game had come from, which, of course, is Abner Doubleday's backyard, right? That's who invented baseball, totally. So a couple of these words. So instead of saying strike, and again, I do not speak Japanese, so when I mispronounce these, I apologize. Uh, instead of saying strike, they they would say Yoshi. Okay. Kind of like Nintendo, Yoshi. Which meant good when a pitcher threw something that was a strike. When it was a ball, dame, or bad ball. Okay. Out? Nope. Instead, they would say haike, or back off. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like back off. You're out, back off. I would have gone with step off. But Ooh. that was probably, it wasn't around it. I don't think that phrase was around then. Uh, the pitcher and the catcher were no longer called a battery. And I know I'm going to say this one wrong. Taida kikan. Taide kikan. Something like that. Uh, it translates to anti-hitting engine. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. If Nolan Ryan was anything, he was an anti-hitting engine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Uh, players would not ask for time. Instead, they would say teishi or stop. Stop. Don't do it. Not just the way things were referred to as, were, were changed. Some of the rules were actually changed because Japanese players should not display any behavior that ran against the warrior code. So remember, you know, during World War II, you've got Japanese fighter pilots who are going on kamikaze missions and just flying their plane into targets. Well, batters could not attempt to get out of the way of incoming pitches. Because the warrior code said that you should be tough enough to take a beaning. Oh, goodness gracious. So even if you were hit, despite your best efforts to dodge, you were not given a base. So <laughs> pitchers could really wow. send a good message and have no Man. repercussion. You know, and, and someone who, as someone who lines up with pitching, I'm kind of a pitching guy. and I, I would take full advantage of that, let me tell you. Absolutely. Oh, think of Bob Gibson. My right? God. He would have thrown a no-hitter every game because everyone would have been afraid to get in the box. 
they were exactly. already. But <laughs> you're not taken first for that. Yeah. Uh, but by the way, did you see uh, Ichiro was pitching uh, in a Japanese girls high school game? This I didn't. Week. Was he striking him out? He struck out 17. Okay. <laughs> he did hit a batter. <laughs> Uh oh! Oh man! I hope she charged the mound. Really, one of a one of the batters took it on the shoulder, and she ran down to first and had this huge smile on her face. I'm sure she will never stop telling people that Ichiro Suzuki hit her in a game. Oh, I'd be all over that. He took his hat off and and gave her a deep bow. It was it was awesome. Uh, Another thing that was changed: no hidden ball tricks, because the Warrior Code says no trickery. Oh, okay. So, who was it that? We talked about the other day during Wax Pack that they had pulled it off at least twice in their career, the hidden ball trick. I, I we've know. done so many Wax Packs. Yeah. You're asking. <laughs> well, that that doesn't that doesn't that didn't fly then. Uh, stolen bases were renamed to taken bases because stealing isn't warrior like. <laughs> Ricky Henderson would. Well, I guess you. Well, yeah. You're just taking bases. You're not stealing them. You return them. You take them and return them. Uh, sure. No in-game substitutions because the warrior code says that you fight to the end. The only exceptions being granted in the instance of a serious injury. So that oh. goes back to old-time baseball right there. 1800s where <laughs> you might have 10 people on your team and that 10th person might be the, the water boy. But if somebody gets hurt, he's going to go in. The home team, this one is very interesting. The home team would still bat in the bottom of the ninth, even if they had the lead, because the warrior code. (laughs) That's got to really suck if you're getting blown out on the road. You're down 12 runs, and you've still got to go out and have somebody throw that bottom of the ninth (laughs) inning. A lot of position players uh, getting some, some time on the mound at that point. I found that on Reddit. Uh, in uh, in the baseball uh, subreddit that somebody had put that together. I thought that was really interesting. And again, I apologize for butchering the uh, the Japanese words there, but that is that's that's fun stuff right there. All right, Mark, it is uh, it's coming up on the uh, final segment of the show for the final show of the year. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Heroes. All right, before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, 
you get a whole point award because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark, with that, which team are you picking? I am going to go with the Cincinnati Reds. The Cincinnati Reds. Okay. Uh, Just to be random. Just to be random. All right. Well, uh, you know what? I think I'm just going to be random, and I'm going to go ahead and choose the Royals. No, there you go. That's random, all right. Yeah, random. Just first team that popped in my mind. I was going to go D-backs, but they were uh, not around at this point because uh, at this point we are opening uh, two packs of Don Russ, but from different years. We're kind of getting to the bottom of my my just singles. So I've got a uh, 1989 and a 1990 pack of Don Russ here. I am going to allow you, who is leading on the scoreboard by a score of 10 to 6, to pick whether you would like the 89 or the 90. I'm going to go with the 90. 90, all right. That has 16 cards in it, so you're going to have to pick. Okay, we'll cut it down. <laughs> they were really <laughs> stuffing these packs back in 1990. Boy, I guess. All right, well, I am going to do the uh, the thing that I've been doing here recently, and I am going to choose to go first. So I'm going to have this 1989 Donruss which we all know is lovely. Uh, Let's see. This is a a pack of 15, so I'm going to lose five uh, cards here. I'm going to go ahead and choose the bottom five to to get rid of. Right. Now, now 89 Donruss, you know what you're looking for here. Uh, Probably a Griffey, I'm guessing. Oh, Griffey rated rookie. All right. So I'm going to lose the last, how many did I say, 15 in here? So one, two, three, four, five. Let's see who I lose. I lose pitcher Jose de Leon. Oh, I lose a Hall of Famer in Craig Biggio. It's a, it's a rookie card, Craig Biggio. Uh, it is. Mark McLemore, second baseman for the Angels. Steve Rosenberg for the White Sox. I don't know who that is. And Luis Rivera of the Expos, which I'm digging this card. Yeah. He's got real stirrups, a mustache, and glasses. And he's got the the powder blue Expos road uniform. But uh, I think the Craig Biggio card there is uh, clearly the one that I wish I could hold on to. But all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump right into it here. Uh, my first card is a left-handed hitting catcher for the Astros. Can you can you guess who that is in uh, 1989? Left-handed hitting Astro in '89. Wow, I'm drawing a blank here. Mr. Alan Ashby. Alan, I should have known. That's terrible. And actually, my, my a, apologies, Mr. Ashby. He was a switch hitter. He was a switch okay. hitter, but he did have. He apparently had a helmet for both a uh, different helmet for left versus right because he's only got one ear flap here. So I assumed he was just left. But uh, let's see. Alan Ashby spent 17 years in the big leagues. Not surprising. He was a good, rugged catcher. Uh, mm-hmm. 1989 was his final year in the big leagues. Only 22 games for the Astros, a 164 average, and a 38 OPS plus. <laughs> That'll equate to a minus .5 war. That's a good start. Yeah, that's uh, it's about average for me. Uh, he does have real stirrups on, though, so it will just be a minus .4. Just a little research on that Biggio rookie you have in your hot little hands there. Um, if you get that graded and it's a 9, you can sell it on eBay for about four bucks. 
So, and uh, as far as I know, grading uh, <laughs> costs like a hundred bucks or something. Right. Grading will run you around 20 to 30. Uh, oh, so, okay. you know, it's a good investment. Yeah. I think I will definitely do that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ashby, diehard Dodgers fan, grew up in Southern California, was in attendance at Sandy Koufax's perfect game in 1965. Uh, yeah. Became a catcher because his favorite player was Johnny Bench. Well, there you go, the prototype. Yep, there you go. All right, so not a great start for me, nothing new. Here is uh, one of our favorite players, one of our, our two favorite players from Jamaica, center fielder for the California Angels at this point. It is none other than Devon White, Devo. Devo himself. Let's see, Devon White, 17 years, just like uh, Mr. Ashby in the big leagues. Had a good career, good outfielder, couple of gold gloves, 1989, oh, good news for me. He was an all-star and won a gold glove that year. I like Ooh. that. 44 stolen bases, 245 average. Did not get on base a lot with a 282 on base. That's yeah, walked a ton. awful. Um, didn't strike out. Uh, or no, he did. He. Yeah, I was looking at uh, stolen bases. He struck out a lot. Struck out 129 times and walked 31 times for an OPS plus of 85 and a war though of 4.0 plus a half a point of war for being an all-star and a gold glove and that is a 5.0 uh, for me nothing else on that card is going to help but that uh, that'll put me in the positive yeah that's uh that's interesting that he had such great defense and uh enough to bring his war up to yeah. that point and, and the stolen bases i think as well Absolutely. All right, next I've got a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, Bill Long. Bill Long, not to be confused with Dale Long. Bill Long, who we have never pulled because he is his link is virgin here on Baseball Reference. But Bill played six years in the big leagues, five of it with the White Sox. 1989, not a bad year. He went five and five in 30 games, a 3.92 ERA and 98 ERA+. plus. All of that equates to a war of 0.7. Plus, he's got hey. some real stirrups on, so that's a 0.8. Very nice. It. Yeah. Let's see what else we can find out about this guy that we've never talked about before. He was traded. Um, he was on the Padres. He was drafted in the second round in 81 and was traded with Ozzie Smith to the White Sox for Lamar oh, wow. Hoyt and a couple of minor leaguers. Oh, he's currently a sixth grade social studies teacher in Kentucky. Very nice. nice. Underrated. Social studies is underrated. I, think. I always enjoyed social studies. That was, uh, I was interesting and I always got good grades in social studies. All right. Next, we have got a, uh, let's see, an infielder for the Montreal Expos. He went on to become Speaker of the House. It's Tom Foley. <laughs> I think you're getting Foley's mixed up here. Oh. Oh, this is not yeah. the uh, the senator from the state of Washington that was Speaker of the House. Yeah, yeah. Congressman uh, Foley was uh, defeated in, in a, at home in, a, in an election when he was Speaker of the House. It was really strange. I remember. I was, I was at Wazoo at that point, and the theory going around was that people thought that whoever they elected would then become Speaker of the House. It's <laughs> just not how that works. No, it doesn't quite work that way. They weren't paying attention in social studies. No, exactly. That is it. All right. Let's <laughs> so let's see. Uh, Thirteen years in the big leagues for Tom Foley. 
Uh, he was 29 in 1989 playing for the Expos, appeared in 122 games, only hit 229, 314 on base, and an 89 OPS plus. And all of that equates to a war of 1.3. I think I've got some uh, some defense to thank for that, but nothing else on this card is going to help me out. That'll bring my total up to 6.7. This is how Foley describes his uh, career. I really wasn't a great player, but I was an average major league player who did the little things. That'll, that'll okay. get you a good career in baseball. Yeah, absolutely. That You become very important to the coaching staff. All right. Hmm. Next, uh, we've got a pitcher for Atlanta. It is Jose Alvarez. I am not familiar with Jose Alvarez. <laughs> and no, uh, I'm... I was, my first question was going to be, okay, Mr. I work for the Braves. Tell us about this guy. Yeah, I, in 19, well, this is 1989. This is 10 years before I was <laughs> around. What are you saying, man? You're saying I'm, I think you're older than you really are. <laughs> uh, there is a current Jose Alvarez that is, uh, that is pitching for the Giants. But uh, I am having a hard time finding uh, this one. 1981 through 1989, but during that span, he only played for four years in the big leagues. Uh, 1989 was his final year, went 3-3, three and three, not bad, 2.86 ERA, a 127 ERA plus, and that equates to a war of 0.6. Nothing else on this card is going to help me out. He is, uh, he's got a healthy bunch of chest hair that is creeping up his throat. He is one of those guys that is in danger if he does not shave uh, underneath his chin and his and his throat. Uh, he could just have one continuous patch of hair from his chin all the way down his chest. That's that's lovely. Thank you for going into yeah, that, I man. I just wanted to let everybody know that that, uh, that is indeed the case. Uh, next, I've got a catcher for the Pirates. I remember this guy. I think he was pretty much a perennial backup. Tom Prince. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember getting a lot of Tom Prince cards. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think he was in every pack. <laughs> it seemed that way, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we joke, he had a 17-year career. Well. And uh, the most games he ever appeared in in a single season was 64. Wow. He retired in 2003. I mean, that's... That is the epitome. If you are a good backup catcher that works well with, uh, you know, with the pitching staff, you'll be around for a while. 17 years. 1989, he was 24 years old. He played till he was 38. Uh, let's see, only appeared in 21 games, a 27 OPS plus. His career OPS plus is 66. So obviously not much of a stick, but a war of minus 0.7. You know, it's funny that it's that bad because I remember his defense being stellar. Also, oh, wow, he managed the uh, Toledo Mud Hens last year. Oh, there you go. I wonder if wow. they had a radar, or a, not a radar O'Reilly, a, uh, who was on, who on oh, yeah, it's, who was, who was the big Mud Hens fan? It was uh, Jamie Farr. I just don't remember his character's name. Uh, Klinger. Yeah, Klinger Knight. Uh, I'm going to assume that Klinger is right, and I'm sure we'll hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we will. We will. Uh, But he was was relieved of his duty after the season on October 6th. 
A, a baseball lifer right there for Tom Prince. All right, I'm at 6.6. I've got four cards left in my pack. Next, I have got a great nickname, pitcher for the Giants. It's Craig Death Leopards. Ah, yes. He's got a good uh, good mustache there. Not that that'll help us anymore, but let's see. Craig Lefferts, lefty, 12-year career. A lot of good careers in this pack. A lot of long careers. Uh, 1989, he was with the Giants. Went 2-4, and four, but he had a 2.69 ERA, 107 innings, a 125 ERA+. plus. Of course, he went to the World Series that year and was sent packing by my boys. All of that equates to a war of 0.7. He's also got some nice real stirrups on here, so that'll be a plus 0.8. That'll bring me up to 7.4 for my total. Uh, let's see. Wow, a lot of transactions. He was traded by the Padres with former uh, guest Dave Dravecki and Kevin Mitchell to the Giants. Hmm. Interesting. Lefferts is actually, according to Wikipedia, the last pitcher to hit a walk-off home run oh. since uh, he's most recent, and it was the last... The first one to hit a home run, a walk-off since Mo Drabowski Uh-oh. in 69. Patron saint of the show, Mo Drabowski. Nice. That's right. He, we, we are now, uh, what, one step to Kevin Bagan? I mean, to two-strike noise. Wow, Mo Drabowski, uh, John Crock. Again, we need to just, we need to do a show and uh, make a list of all the patron saints of this show. Because there's, there's some good ones. Yeah, there's a few in each. All right. Next, I have got a third baseman for the Padres. This is not the uh, not the infamous uh, singer. It is Chris Brown. I, I mean, we haven't looked at his page yet, but I'm assuming he has not been jailed for, uh, for assault. <laughs> but we'll, we'll keep yeah, our fingers crossed. Uh, 1989 was his final year in the big leagues. He played for six years. He played for the Tigers for this final year. Only appeared in 17 games. 28 OPS plus, so I'm not expecting a lot here. Over his career, though, 104 OPS plus. The first three years in the big leagues, he went 117, 124, 125, uh, and was uh, came in fourth in the Rookie of the Year and was an All-Star in 1986. But uh, in 1989, that equates to a war of minus .4. Um, and he is, oh no, he's got real stirrups on. I can see, I can see space there. Oh, there you go. And he has got, uh, he's got something on his sweatbands, but it's not a caricature or a jersey number, so nothing there. So that'll just, that'll be a minus point three, but I am going in the, uh, the wrong direction here. Life after baseball for, uh, for our friend Chris here, uh, was very interesting. Yeah, you're right. So uh, after after baseball, Brown worked driving 18-wheelers in Iraq in 2004 for Halliburton and took fire on numerous occasions, including a convoy that was attacked in which six drivers and one soldier were killed and another driver kidnapped and later released. That's just amazing. Wow. You know, I, I, I think I'd rather play baseball, just saying. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, he has passed away. Uh, due to another incident that will, you know, look it up. You can look it up, but we're going to not talk about that. All right, so I am at 7.1. I've got two cards left. We've got a nasty boy. Uh-oh. It is, uh, it's one of, it's your favorite nasty boy, though. Oh, Dibble? Dibble is your favorite nasty boy? He's my least favorite, okay. you know. No, yeah, I think your favorite for real nasty boy would be the sheriff, Norm Charlton. Oh, yeah, I love, I love the sheriff. Uh, also a mariner for a while, so I knew that that would be in 
be uh, on his side. Actually, he was a Mariner twice. Final year in he 2001. Was. He was. He came back. Yeah. Uh, let's see. 1989 was his second year in the big leagues. He went 8-3 and three with a 2.93 ERA in 69 games. Uh, no saves, didn't have any chances there, but he struck out 95, or he struck out 98 in 95 and a third inning. Nice. Uh, that equates to a war of 1.1. So, not huge, but at least... That's not bad for a reliever that didn't get any saves. Yeah, it's going the right way. That'll take me up to 8.2. Tell you what, as a, as a Mariners fan, uh, he had some great years and some lean years, but boy, the years where he was on top, he was as unhittable as anybody I've seen out of the bullpen. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was a great. Uh, I, I think when he was actually with the Nasty Boys, let me uh, pull up his page again. I think he actually started a, a quite a few games as well. He did, yes. Yeah, let's see. He because he was called into duty to start because of injuries. But in 1990, when they won the World Series, he appeared in 56 games and he started 16. And then in 91, he appeared in 39, and he started 11. He did not start any other games after that. All right, I'm at 8.2, and my final card of my pack is a guy that played for quite a while and then was a coach for quite a while. Here he is with the Phillies. It is outfielder Milt Thompson. Milt Thompson, sure. I had a lot of Milt Thompson cards, too. Uh, So did Milt's mom. I think she still does. And Papa, I just like to say, for the record, I am not Milt's mom. <laughs> Papa Thompson, Uncle Milty, or Scooter? Uncle Milty. <laughs> <laughs> Milton Burrow reference here. It is, yes. Uh, let's see. 13 years in the big leagues, 1989. Uh, he actually played with his first year in St. Louis. Appeared in 155 games. 290 average. Uh, stole 27 bases. And a 107 OPS+. plus. He even got some MVP votes this year for Uncle wow. Milton. All that equates to a 4.3 war. I'll take it. Very nice. Uh, nothing else on this card is going to help me out, though. But uh, that'll take me to 12.5. Not feeling confident. <laughs> it's not, a, not a, a huge number there for me. Any given Tuesday, my friend. All right. So that's going to uh, end my pack. We're going to go ahead and open up your pack of 1990, Don Russ. Uh, you've got to lose six cards here. Would you rather do the uh, the first six or the last six? Let's, uh, I'm afraid to answer this. Let's go with the top six. All right. Well, the first card in your pack is Will Clark. So you're losing that. Huh. Uh, you're losing Devo, <laughs> Devon White. Uh, you're losing a Diamond Kings, Mike Bilecki. Huh. You're losing Chuck Krim from the Brew Crew. You're losing Kevin Gross with the Expos. And your final card, you're losing Hendu, Dave Henderson. Hmm, okay, okay. All right. Not horrible, but... Well, uh, Will Clark and, and the Mike yeah. Bielecki might might be painful. But let's see what you got here. So your first card is a guy we've talked about, a guy that had Tourette's Syndrome, but finally got it under control and had a, a pretty good career, Jim Eisenreich. Yeah, I remember that. Let's see, Jim Eisenreich played for 15 years in the big leagues. He came up with Minnesota in 82, played for three years, and then he was uh, not in baseball for the two years while he was uh, working on, as we mentioned, uh, getting his uh, Tourette syndrome under control. Came back in 87. In 1990, he was with the Royals, had a good year. He hit 280, had 51 RBI. 
107 OPS plus, and that will start you off with a 1.2. Good start, good start. Uh, it's, it's almost a two full points better than my start, so you've got that working for you. Eisenreich was part of that big trade in 98. He went from the Marlins with Bobby Bonilla, Gary Sheffield, Charles Johnson to the Dodgers for Todd Zeal and Mike Piazza. Oh, wow. Mike Piazza wow. Who played, what, was it six games with the Marlins, something like that? Like that. Uh, Eisenreich was replaced on the Twins roster uh, when he went on the voluntary retirement list to deal with uh, Tourette's syndrome by Kirby Puckett. Huh. Uh, next, you've got a pitcher for the Guardians. Uh, he went on to become a pitching coach as well. John Farrell. John Farrell. Boy, I don't remember a whole lot about him. I think he played for a while, though. Let's see. The the father of Luke Farrell. I think, I think I've heard that name on games, and they always mention that his father was John. Uh, let's see. Yeah, as you said, eight years in the big leagues. Um, 1990 was his final year in Cleveland. Went four and five with a 428 ERA, a 92 ERA plus, and that equates to a war of positive 0.8. I was a little worried we weren't going to be positive there. You know, did we, I, again, did not look uh, for our teams on my pack. Getting that rule. Yeah, it's still a little new to us. And uh, unfortunately, you chose the Reds and Norm Charlton is on the Reds. I uh, did not have a Royal. So actually my, uh, let's see, my score actually goes down to 12 even because of that. So make it a uh, little bit easier for you. Norm Charlton getting me a save. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Farrell was the Red Sox pitching coach when uh, Terry Francona was there. Okay. That's how I remember him being a pitching coach because he was there when they were playing really well. And they were going to the World Series every year or every other year. Because they would finish, yes. they'd win the World Series and then they finish last, and then they would go back and win the World Series. All right, next we've got a uh, Boston Red Sox. We were just talking about them. Here is uh, one of our guys, Ellis Burks. Oh, I love Ellis Burks, absolutely. Do you think of Ellis Burks as a Red Sox or a Rocky? I think of him as as uh, Red Sox. I think I do too, for the most part. Uh, Eighteen years in the big leagues, seven with Boston, five in Colorado. Three in Cleveland, three in San Francisco, and uh, one year with the White Sox, apparently. Which, he spent the full year there, 146 games in 1993. Let's see, 1990, good news for you, he was an all-star and won a gold glove in center field. beautiful. Uh, Let's see, wow. Hit 296, 21 home runs, 89 RBI, 128 OPS+. And, wow, that only equates to a 3.3 war. But oh, you're going to get a full point for the All-Star and the Gold Gloves. That'll be a plus 4.3. He uh, was not a prolific base stealer in 90. Nine stolen bases, 11 caught. You might want to consider not stealing as much at that point. Here's an interesting fact. April 17th, 1994, Burks hit a game-winning home run in the bottom of the 10th inning against the Montreal Expos. It is the only ever walk-off home run hit at Mile High Stadium. Wow. You remember the, the, the way that that field was configured? I do, While they yeah, were absolutely. building Coors Field? That, that was, place was huge. It was. Okay. All right. Next, you've got pitcher for the White Sox, Mike Boddicker. I remember Boddicker because he was on the Red Sox, who always they'd always face the A's in the yes, ALCS. Yes, I remember him uh, 
with Baltimore mostly, but also with the Red Sox, yeah. Yep, spent nine years in Baltimore, three in Boston of his 14-year career. In 1990, wow, 17-8 for the Bo Sox, 3.36 ERA, a 122 ERA+, plus, and that equates to a war of 5.9. What? Wow. That's half of my total on Mike Boddicker. He won a gold glove in 1992, so don't forget that. I was hoping you wouldn't see that. Yeah, he definitely (laughs) won a gold glove in 1990. (laughs) That brings your score to 12 points. You're you're 0.7 ahead of me about halfway through your pack. Mike Boddicker, 134 and 116 record over those 14 years. Not a bad career. He won 20 games in 1984. You know, Rod Carew, Hall of Famer, great hitter, really nice guy, right? Uh, he once called Boddicker's pitching repertoire Little League Slop. <laughs> wow. Ouch. Uh, now, to Boddicker's credit, he also called one of his pitches a glorified changeup. Hmm. Uh, he pitched from three different arm angles as well. Wow. That's, I'm, I'm wondering. Let's take a peek at what Rod Carew hit off of Mike Boddicker. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Rod Carew... One for 11 against Mike Boddicker. <laughs> he wasn't good at hitting little flop, apparently. Yeah, uh, I, that, that absolutely makes sense as to why he would, uh, he would say that about his uh, pitching repertoire there. All right, next you've got a catcher for the Yankees. It's Sluggo, Don Slot. Don Slot could hit. Don Slot, 16 years in the big leagues. Another one of those. Durable catchers. 1990 was his first year in Pittsburgh after leaving the Yankees. He hit 300, a 283 hitter over his career. You are absolutely correct. 375 on base, a 132 OPS plus. Jeez, that's a 2.3 war. Not bad. That brings your total up to 15. You have very good card picking skills because I am just not even getting close to you here. Let me tell you something. It is 100% skill, too. Yeah. I think you're x-raying these packs before I pick them out. Yes, P, N. All right. Next, we have got uh, infielder for the Hammers. It is Jeff Blauser. Now, last time I said his name, I know I exactly what you're going to Yeah, I know. Blauser, Blauser. But uh, nobody knew what I was talking no, about. I, so. I don't remember either. So we'll just, and you know, Baseball Reference doesn't have any nicknames in here for, for Jeff Blauser. Uh, let's see, 1990 with Atlanta. Uh, he was there. Yeah, he really was a, a true infielder. Played short, second, and third. Also got some time in center field. Huh. Uh, I don't know, Otis Nixon not, uh, or was it Butler at that point? Not uh, feeling healthy, but uh, 269 average, uh, 101 OPS plus, and a war of 1.0 even. Nothing else can help you out on this card. But uh, you're, you're well ahead of me, and unless they're all Phillies for the rest of the pack. Uh, Jeff Blauser, yeah. So that will uh, that'll take you up to sixteen. Even you have got three, four cards left, and your next one is a good one. Pitcher for the Mets, David Cohn. Well, we all know about David Cohn's career. Yeah, boy. I mean, uh, he pitched well for a long time. Seventeen years in the big leagues, one hundred ninety-four wins over that time. A lifetime three forty-six ERA. 
led the league twice back-to-back in strikeouts in 90 and 91. That bodes well for you. In 90, he also led the league in strikeouts per nine and his strikeout per walk ratio. So uh, this is looking very good for you. Went 14 and 10 with a 3.24, uh, 2.3 ERA and a 117 ERA plus. That equates to a war of 3.8. Not bad. Can you just stop? <laughs> okay. Wait till you see these next guys. They're going to be terrible. Uh, let's see. Dave Cohn, of course, uh, doing Yankee games on, on the Yes Network. Got that going for him. That's As right. if he didn't have enough going for him. Yeah, so in 1999, through the 16th perfect game in baseball history against the Montreal Expos, the last no-hitter by a Yankee until this last year. Nice. And that wow. was on Yogi Berra Day as well. That's oh, okay. Uh, this is interesting. Just like our subject last week, Dave Winfield, uh, Cohn had a long-standing feud with owner George Steinbrenner as well. It, you know and and I, I I have to say he's not the only one. No, he's. Not. <laughs> uh, you know that though. Uh, I think I think Steinbrenner kind of had Ricky's back on the whole Jake in it issue, where uh, huh. Ricky had a torn hamstring, but nobody believed him and and called him right. Out. But yeah, all right. So you're at nineteen point eight. I guess you're just trying to double my score, is what you're going for here. Uh, next, you've got an outfielder for the Orioles, Phil Bradley. Bradley was also in a also in a Mary uniform for a while. Absolutely was. In fact, I remember him more in a Mariner uniform than anything. Eight years in the big leagues, five years with Seattle, two with Baltimore. 1990 was his final year. He split it between Baltimore and the White Sox. He was uh, he was about an average player. His final year at age 31. All of that equates to well, with Baltimore he was a .7 WAR, and with uh, Chicago he was a minus .1. So that'll be a minus, or uh, that'll be a plus point six for you. Okay, I'll take that out of nowhere. Yeah, still going the still going the right way. We've talked about Phil a couple of times, so we'll go on to your second to last card. Uh, it is a pitcher for the White Sox, which I want to say we had in my pack as well. It is Steve Rosenberg. He was in your pack. Uh, he was you, one of the guys uh, that I ditched him. Yeah. So let's see what I missed out on. Probably positive. Well, actually, taking a look here, you should be pretty happy you didn't use his 89 numbers. It was 4 and 13. <laughs> well, let's take a look at his 90 numbers. Uh, oh, <laughs> he was 1 and 0 in 90, but he only appeared in six games. But, yeah, that 89 campaign was rough. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> 4 and 13, 4.94 ERA. Let's see what his war was in 89. It was, it was a minus one, a whole Full minus. One. In 90, though, it's only a minus point one. So he improved. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. I have not heard of Steve Rosenberg. I don't remember him. I know of Saul Rosenberg yeah. from the Jerky Boys. Shockingly enough here, it says that uh, Rosenberg is Jewish. But was he like Hank Greenberg called the Hebrew Hammer? I do not see any nicknames here. Uh, That's one of my favorite nicknames of all time. <laughs> you know, he was a uh, pitch in the big leagues. Uh, so pretty, pretty happy with that for, uh, for him. But yeah, nothing else there for Steve Rosenberg. And your final card, your second Diamond King of the pack. Not a Hall of Famer. You had him last week, too, because I said not a Hall of Famer, though most people think he should be. It is Lou Whitaker. 
Sweet Lou. Love it. All right. So I, I know we covered Sweet Lou last week. Uh, 19 years in the big leagues. 1990. Shockingly enough, he was with Detroit because that's uh, the only team he ever played for. Hit 251, 28 home runs. That was a career high for him. And a 133 OPS plus, no all-star, gold glove, anything like that this year, fortunately for me. And all that equates to a war of 3.8. And, uh, of course, he's got real stirrups in this uh, in this painting, so that is a plus 3.9. And uh, you, you ended up with a 24.2 total compared to my 12. Wow. Maybe we should institute a mercy rule or something. Well, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I'm tanking now. Uh, I'm looking for the first round draft pick, looking to rebuild. Because uh, <laughs> it's getting ugly. You're up 11 to 6 as the long two-time way champ. Long way to go. Yeah, for me, it's a long, long season. All right, so that's going to wrap up another episode of Wax Packs Heroes. It's going to wrap up our final episode of the season. For Two Strength Noise, we've uh, we've had a good year this year, Mark. We've had some good guests. We've done some some topics that we didn't know about and were very interesting, so that's always fun. And uh, we've got a lot of new listeners that we enjoy uh, listening to. If you are listening to, uh, interacting with, if you do want to get a hold of us or just can't get enough of us throughout the week, you can always find us on social media. We are at Two Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find links to that as well as our YouTube and our Twitch pages in the show notes. Mark, we also have an email address you can uh, reach us with. Sure, you can write us at Two Strike Noise, spell it out, T-W-O, Strike Noise, at gmail.com. Mark, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I think sometime next week, while we're not doing a podcast, we're going to do another watch along. We get some good comments back from people that have watched that. Hopefully, uh, people have some time off here uh, between the holidays and, and New Year's where maybe some people can join us live. But if not, uh, you can always watch it uh, on demand. We will, again, try to put out on social media a couple of days before when we're going to do this. And hopefully we can have some uh, people join us again. And uh, it was a lot of fun last time. Hopefully it'll uh, be fun again this time. And uh, we can uh, at least keep talking baseball until we get back after the New Year. Oh, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody for a really fun year. Thanks, uh, thanks to you, Jeff, for uh, uh, being such a, a a great show partner. And uh, thanks to all the new listeners and uh, and to all of those of you that have been listening to us from the beginning. God bless. Thank you so much. Yes, and uh, I wish everybody a happy and safe holiday. Hopefully, everybody can see you know family, friends, uh, people we haven't seen for a while, but. Remember to stay safe so that you can be back next year and listen to more episodes <laughs> of Two Strike Noise. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.